0: Hello and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app and use promo code CHGO when to sign up. I am Will Gowey. I'm hosting today alongside my good mate, Mark K. Mark heron down in Australia. And Mark, I'm just going to skip right over you with the pleasantries because we have a very special guest today. And that is our, our good friend, Chris Amundsen, KLA Hoops uh chris really excited to have you on i also want to hear how you're doing mark but just uh no you don't
1: no, you, don't. you made that clear
0: for
2: <laughs> thanks for having me on guys mark how are you doing sir how
1: are you thank oh, you for well, i'm good i'm good chris thank you for asking I'm, I'm i'm doing well my friend uh william how, how are you uh, even though you begrudgingly jumped over me but i'm well thanks for checking in on chris but how are you my friend
0: I'm doing great. I'm really excited to have Chris here because Chris is starting up a new venture called Swish Theory. And we've been friends with Chris for a long time, talking bulls uh, through just years and years of painful times and happy times. Uh, and we're kind of somewhere in the middle right now. But want to talk bulls with Chris. We wanted to talk about Swish Theory with Chris and just catch up in general. So uh, Chris, for, for those who don't know you and don't know Swish Theory, just wanted to give you the floor to sort of give the uh, give the rundown?
2: Yeah. Um, for those of you who do know me, you know I'm a Bulls fan. For some unfortunate reason that doesn't make any sense, I've decided to pick this team. I, I don't live in Can Chicago. Can you please tell the story of this? <laughs> okay. Can you please tell the story? So, for the people who don't know. a good one.
0: I don't think I've heard so, the story. I need it. It's,
2: it's, it's not your typical it's a,
1: story. Let me say that.
2: It's not. It's um, So I went to – I'm from Southern California. I grew up during – you know, the, not watching basketball. No, no one in my family, none of my friends were really big sports people at all. We'd watch, you know, the World Series or the NBA Finals occasionally, and that was basically my sports experience until I went to college. I went to BYU in Utah, and at the time I was there, Jimmer Fredette was a big star. If you guys remember, in about 2011, um, he ended up Bulls a, had legend, by the Bulls legend Jimmer Fredette. If anyone has a Bulls jersey with jim or fred's name on it please contact me i'm looking for one i will buy it off you <laughs> email in um, description so i knew it's funny he, he ended up getting drafted by the kings and a few years later i'm in law school um and he, i remember seeing the news that he got traded to the bulls and i knew enough about the nba to know that the kings were not a great franchise for development or almost anything else at that point and so I was curious to see if Jimmer was going to pan out in the NBA. And so I started watching Bulls games and it was, it was, you know, February, March. Uh, it was right after Lou Deng had gotten traded. Derek Rose was already out for the season. And the Bulls were basically like left for dead <laughs> by the organization. And then Joakim Noah and Taj Gibson and all those guys just kind of like went on this huge tear. Point Noah was a huge thing. And I don't remember Jimmer playing very much. Uh, that season. And he ended up, you know, washing out uh, in the next year and then becoming a god in China. Um, but <laughs> I remember falling in love with this Bulls team. It was so stupid. Like I'd never seen a team like that where the point guard was the center basically for for so much of the game. And, you know, they just they played with so much heart. And so I started watching the Bulls games because I was really interested in the Bulls and their success. And I'd never really had a sports experience before like that. And so I started, as I usually do, anything I get into, I get into, like, way too deep. And so I started going on, like, uh, bloggable and, you know, messaging back and forth and ended up meeting, like, Stefano, and then eventually met Mark and Will and you guys, right? And so it's become, like, this entire thing, and now basketball has decidedly consumed my life, Um, and it's all thanks to me being curious if Jimmer Fredette was going to be a bust or not. (laughs) So that's that's why I'm a Bulls fan.
0: That is so funny because, one, Jim Rafferty played uh, 56 minutes with the Chicago Bulls over eight games, which is nothing. But also, like, Mark's story of just, like, growing up, you know, watching one of the few teams that's probably broadcast there in in the Jordan era, me being from Chicago. It's, like, two relatively standard, like, Bulls fan origin stories. And so that is just... That is that's why
1: I love it, and that's what—that's why I wanted. I knew that story in advance, or I—I I, I don't know how we we, we we'd cross past on that story before. I don't know where or how, Chris. But uh, yeah, to your point, Will, I've got the standard international story. But you know, Jordan bandwagon. You know, you're you're a Chicago person, and then Chris is a a lawyer for that Jimmer, <laughs> Jimmer so, it is what it is but um uh, look we all have our strengths and weaknesses i guess but i don't, I don't blame you for in falling podcast. in
0: love with uh i don't yeah i don't blame you for falling in love with that joe point joe <laughs> era that was that was something
2: it's all been downhill since then basically like i've i came in in
0: basically the worst era of bulls basketball after that it was, it was it's a lot been of downhill since mark and i started watching too
1: <laughs> yeah there's been more bad than good let's let's be honest but uh nonetheless it's led you to this point where you've created your own website swish theory you and lara were doing things over there you've got more uh content creators up there as, as well but um you know i, I won't give the spill i'll let you, uh, tell the people who are listening into as to what Switch Theory is all about, the podcast, the website, all that sort of stuff. So uh, give give us the, uh, the once-over as to what it, all, what it all means, mate.
2: Well, it's funny. It all kind of started because of you, Mark. Uh, you <laughs> started a Discord channel for Bulls HQ, and Laro and I ended up joining and talking a lot of Bulls. And I eventually decided, after being a guest on your podcast, kindly, I had no experience, no really good reason to be on it, um, I, I was on a, a podcast as a guest with, uh, it was me and, and Evan Zalcha, who is a great, great, smart yeah, Bulls Robert, fan yeah. and he's just a good person yeah. in general. And so it, it kind of gave me this confidence of like, I would like to actually start a podcast. And so Laro and I ended up starting a podcast, Bulls 101 with, uh, the Barroom Network about a year and a half ago. It was March 20, I don't, I don't know dates anymore since the pandemic, but yeah, okay. we did it for a whole year and then Laro decided that he wanted to get hired by, uh, Cis hoops, I think sports information and systems solutions, something like that. I apologize mm-hmm. for butching your name, Sis. but um, he worked for them. and so I was actually looking for another podcast partner because I still wanted to do Bull's analysis in some way. and um, and Lara was working at the time and he couldn't. So I reached out to Chip Jones, if you guys know who Chip Jones is., uh, he does basketball, scouting, video editing for. Uh, the Thinking Basketball podcast, um, and which is an amazing podcast. And, and you know Ben's just a really incredible basketball mind in general. So I reached out to Chip and Chip said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And then within two weeks, Laro's position with Sis, like his little term was up. And so he decided to join. And then we were talking about the podcast and it just evolved into this idea of what if we did something a lot more than just a podcast? What if we... And this was kind of when like the stepian was kind of phasing out. It eventually got mm-hmm. announced that it was leaving, and I was like, "Man, I feel like there's this space in basketball where there's these really talented people." And a lot of people in like Draft Twitter, for example, had gotten hired by NBA teams the last few years. Yeah. And I knew there was a lot of talent there. There's a lot of people that are doing really great work, but their work is not being recognized. And so Chip, Laro, and I, and we ended up bringing on uh, Ross Pinsler, who is Arturus Fan Club. If you guys know. And then Matt Powers, who uh, was formerly of the Stepion. And so the, the five of us decided to create this new website, Swish Theory and, and brand, and bring on a lot of contributors to showcase their work. And, you know, so we've got, if you go to the swishtheory.com, it's got a podcast. Larry and I are doing a podcast league wide, not just the Bulls. Um, and th- there's tons and tons of scouting reports. Um, There's another podcast called Finishing Touch, which is about like development, just really like nerdy. If you if like basketball inspires you, like welcome home, like this is the place you want to be. And it's just a lot of really interesting people from diverse backgrounds that are contributing and kind of moving the sport forward. There's not any like agendas or, you know, we don't have to answer to anybody. It's write what you want to write about. Just do it really well. And, And that's basically it. So. I think it's really cool. I've had a lot of fun doing it. It's way, it's a huge commitment for me (laughs) and covering the league as a whole has been uh, exhausting so far. I'll just say, uh, I haven't been able to watch as many Bulls games as I'd like as a result, which is also kind of sad, but it's been really rewarding so far. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow and to do some really cool things in basketball and, and hopefully have people that have that talent be recognized and kind of be more to the forefront versus a lot of the kind of typical media that we consume so i think it's really fun i'm really excited about it and obviously that's why we did it um but yeah I, i'm really excited and i really appreciate you guys having me on to to get my little spiel on it
1: yeah look, no, no problem but uh obviously interesting project that you guys are diving into but more importantly maybe you can tell i mean you mentioned the website but in terms of socials the podcast yeah. uh where can people follow all that sort of stuff
2: yeah, our main our main Twitter account is at Swish Theory, so that, that's you know most of the stuff that gets funneled through that main account, swishtheory.com. We've also got Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think it's also the Swish Theory on Instagram, and we're expanding. So we're you know we kind of had a more uh, a more focused launch, I guess you could say, and we're doing a lot more. But I the scatter reports. I think if anyone's really interested in that kind of stuff. We're breaking down prospects for this upcoming year as well as a lot of young players in the league. And for me, it's really fun because you'll watch a random game on a Tuesday night and you would be like, oh, this is a really interesting player. I don't really know a lot about him. And you can kind of go and find out, like do a quick scouting report of what is this guy yeah. good at? What is he not good at? What is his role on this team? And it's not really available in my mind. I haven't found it anywhere else. And so I'm really excited because the guys that are putting together these scouting reports, Laro is one of them. Chips, another guy, like they're really detailed, really in depth. These guys care uh, a lot about hips. Uh, they get they care a lot about you know the the, the these things that like these ang- the angles and all these different things that are you know player development, draft development stuff that I'm hips not. As good do that. At. <laughs> the hips and thighs, baby. The hips and yeah. And so it's it's really interesting, and um, yeah, I'm really happy we get to showcase that work.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that you're able to really lay it out for people. I'm looking at the site right now. It's just, it's clean. You know, there's good content on it. There is still a lot of bull stuff that's forward facing just with uh, the group of of folks that are contributing right now. So for the bull fans that are listening, it's definitely worth going to um, theswishtheory.com. Make sure you go check it out and support those guys on, on all their socials because They've already done a lot of great work, and I know there's there's going to be a lot more good stuff to come.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, look, mate, uh, all all the best in in the venture. Uh, as someone who's been in a similar position in terms of starting a podcast, starting a website, all that sort of stuff, trying to kick it all off the ground, understanding the work that goes into all of that, um, uh, I'm, I'm empathetic of it, I suppose, and I'm, I'm wishing you all the success to you, Lara, and the team, I suppose. So, uh, yeah. Appreciate you guys doing that. Um, there's definitely space for that type of content out there, and uh, yeah, I guess just good luck with it all. That's all. That's all I would say. And um, yeah, I'm sure you guys will do well, knowing knowing the character of you, of you guys, but also the, the 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 smarts and IQ that you all have. Um, I, I can't imagine this being anything up anything else but a success.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope so.
1: Well, I, look, I, I had to say that nice <laughs> thing because you said a nice thing about me. So that was, that was just <laughs> me returning. <laughs> and so it, you know, know, the, the,
2: the, the reverse side is it's all your fault if it fails as well. Well, yeah, true, true. Business.
0: <laughs>
1: all good. All good.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's transition to some Bulls stuff. Uh, Chris, I, I know you said you've been watching a lot of the league and maybe not as much of the Bulls this year, but I know you're still focused on, you're being humble, you're still watching this team. Um, and, and there's a lot to talk about here. I think Mark and I have not done the pod for two weeks now, so we have a lot of catching up to do first. I think just laying out the the rest of the show here, um, I wanted to, to just go through each of us give sort of an impression, um, a tidbit, some small detail of something that you've noticed over the last few games to just sort of dig into just a little bit, um, and then the real the real uh, main event, I suppose we'll call it, in act three of a uh, Patrick Williams discussion. Um, two, two of the more opinionated folks I know about Patrick Williams. And uh, I think it's just, it's good to, to really see all sides of that argument, but let's start with uh, some of the smaller stuff. Um, I wrote recently, actually today, uh, and I'll bump it again tomorrow for, for the Monday morning crowd. Um, about this just insane opponent three-point shooting that the Bulls have faced uh, over the course of the season so far. Um, really just trying to, like, break down where some of these defensive breakdowns are happening and understanding if it's, like, is it bad luck? Is it something the Bulls are doing wrong? Are they not contesting? Are they not, you know, forcing the right shots? But, I mean, is this something that you guys have, have recognized and uh, are you sort of as perplexed about it as I am?
1: Yeah, I mean pretty hard not to recognize it just because it's becoming barriers and, and waves. Like, uh, what was it against the um, against the Spurs? I can't remember the exact number, but uh, the Indiana Pacers have had huge numbers. The Celtics went off in, I think it was the first quarter of that game. The Sixers the other day or on, on Saturday night, I think it was in US time, if I'm not mistaking that in getting my time, zone, time zones correct, like they were five and nine in the first quarter. Like, this has just been a consistent theme where – Okay, your three-point defense has been bad, but it's been bad to the point where teams are just going off. And, I mean, some of it is shooting variance. Some of it is this team's just, you know, shooting the lights out for whatever reason. Maybe that's just a, a weird trend. But at the same time, I think it would be wrong to sort of overlook the fact that there are real issues in terms of their three-point defense, their their rotations on weak side in particular. That is, is something I've caught. Um, you know, not surprising when, you, when you're starting, you know, Zach Levine and... And DeMar DeRozan, that, that those guys occasionally will get some um, rotations and switches incorrect, and lo and behold, that that generates three point attempts for teams. And yeah, NBA players are just too good; you can't leave them open, or even you know half a step open, and that's enough for them to drain three. So it's a problem. Um, I don't think it is just hot shooting. I think it's very uh, systematic issues with the three point defense. I don't think it's necessarily scheme based in, in in the sense that Billy's telling them to do the wrong thing or anything of that nature. I just think it just comes down to the personnel and. You know, they're not being engaged or understanding what they should be doing, um, which is problematic. But it's not, again, unsurprising given the uh, given the names involved, particularly in that starting unit.
0: I just want to go through the actual numbers there because they really, I mean, it's just kind of insane. So last game, 76ers, 6 for 10 on threes in the first quarter, 10 for 20 in the first half. In the Spurs game, they started 5 for 6 from 3. Uh, the Pacers didn't do it in the first quarter, but in the third quarter, when the Bulls were up 20, the Pacers were able to get themselves back into it with a 7-for-8 stretch from deep. The Celtics started 8-of-9, the Cavs, and the Heat uh, both started hot. Cavs 5-for-6, six, Heat 6-for-8. Six so six of the seven games, the Wizards being the one, uh, I guess like the exception to the rule almost at this point, that just yeah. did not go absolutely crazy from three. Um, and and the Bulls have been pretty good at eliminating the corner 3 their 10th. In opponent corner threes allowed, but they're allowing the sixth highest percentage of threes um, overall, and the second highest percentage on those threes. So opponents are shooting forty three and a half percent on three against them. So to me, I think like the number will go down just because like you don't shoot forty four percent on threes over the course of the season. But I do think that there are some sort of fundamental flaws that Mark's talking about here. That I mean, they they just have to clean some of this stuff up.
2: No doubt. Well, I think another thing, there's a couple of contributing factors here that we haven't talked about yet, which is Zach has been in and out of the lineup. And so when you have inconsistency in your starting lineup, it Mm -hmm. can affect the way you start and it can affect your rotations and the kind of the execution of those. So, uh, And then Io was obviously out this last game. And so there's been some inconsistency there. And the Bulls, because of Vuce's strengths and weaknesses on the defensive end, uh, he's playing up closer to the level and so there's a there's a tendency to help a lot from you know the guys on the perimeter that our wings are we' depending on them a lot for rim protection or to kind of you know stem any bleeding from any pick and roll advantages created for the other team. as you mentioned, well, I think the bulls have done a great job of contesting for the most part and Billy talked about that the other day and you know in their rotations they they have gotten pretty good i mean they're they're doing like little x-outs to try and make sure that the like, corner three is, is not given up so i think they're doing okay but it's early season variance as you said um it's the it's the inconsistency of the lineup and i think the bulls defense specifically is kind of designed to help and get them in rotation and you know that has every every bulls defense or every defense in general has a weakness to exploit and you know uh three point especially above the break And in those corners, if the if the Bulls defense is in rotation and we're not exactly where we need to be, you're going to see more of that. So I I do think the number will come down, but it is very concerning that every team basically we face so far has just been lights out at some point in the game against us and most of them early.
0: And to Mark's point, it's like it's not that you just shoot 40 or 44 percent on threes over the course of a game. It's like this this trend that the Bulls go down by 10, 15, 20 points in the first or second quarter because opponents are just going on these incredible stretches where they're not missing. And then they start missing and the bulls sort of tighten up their rotations and, and that combination allows the bulls to get back into games. But it's just, you know, like the, the numbers sort of come out, uh, you know, the, the, a- they average out over the course of a game to where The numbers aren't like, they're not shooting 70% on threes against the bulls, but I think it's just interesting that the way they're happening is it's almost fluky, but they do come out in the wash. Um, so I just I just wanted to call that one out. I don't know if you guys had any any final thoughts there. Um, we'll get into but Mark, were you going to say something? No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say we, we can get into uh, something that each of you um, wanted to note for this. But first, Mark, would you tell the people about our friends at Greenridge Farms?
1: Yes, William. I want to tell the people about our friends at Greenridge Farm. Uh, by now, everyone probably knows about Greenridge Farm, but if you don't. Green Ridge Farm is a Chicago local meat and cheese company offering you the better all natural option. They are the makers of all natural deli meats, sausages, and all other, you know, any other meat product you want. You can probably get it at Green Ridge Farm. But most importantly, they're world famous meat sticks. Boy, oh boy, William. I mean, if you want to get them down your gob, I certainly suggest it, particularly for post workout sessions. 16 grams of protein per, per stick. That makes it absolutely perfect for a post-workout snack. So if you're into famous meat sticks, you can get them in chicken flavored, black forest beef, and basically any flavor you like, whether it's jalapeno cheddar, spicy chili, and much, much more. If you haven't tried them yet, you don't know what you're missing. They are freaking delicious. Take that from me and take that certainly from Mr. Matthew Peck, who absolutely loves consuming this product. Uh, So if you're into this product, Right now, when you order any three meat products at greenridgefarm.com and include a pack of meat sticks in your cart, those meat sticks, William, will be free simply by using promo code CHGO at checkout. What a fantastic offer that one is. That is CHGO at checkout at greenridgefarms.com.
0: I love that you only call me William when you're reading advertisements for our podcast. Um, well, yeah. Before- well- <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing to say in response to no.
1: that <laughs> no. i don't have um, a good response i was thinking about this the other day. why do i call you guys william david and matthew like you guys probably probably think i'm the most pompous asshole for doing so but I don't, I don't have a good explanation for it. i just do it i
0: don't think it's i've actually really it. noticed it until just then yeah, for whatever you. reason you also fred, call fred frederick
1: you... yeah i do don't know yeah yeah i not mean, call like, me christopher so i kind of feel yeah. left out a little bit you know well, there yeah. you go Oh, that's how i'll address you from now on
0: So uh, I want to tell you guys uh, about our friends at Athletic Greens. As you know, I'm the uh, Athletic Greens champion of the podcast. I use this product literally every day because I wanted to get better gut health. I wanted more energy. I wanted to optimize my immune system. And all these supplements and pills, it's like, it tastes gross. There's not uh, just an easy all-in-one option until I got Athletic Greens. And... With Athletic Greens, you are getting your 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. It's a special blend of in- ingredients to, as I said, support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things that you want to support. Um, it tastes great, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, gluten free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs or chemicals or anything like that. And it is cheap. It costs you less than $3 a day, which is cheaper than your cold brew habit. So right now it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health and to make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash chgobulls. That's athleticgreens.com slash Bulls to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. Um, who, who wants to go first? Br- bring to I just want to say uh...
2: Athletic Greens is maybe the best Javante Green nickname I've heard. I just I thought, I don't know anyone else is, has thought about this, but
0: it's, so, it's so good. It's so good. I don't remember who came up with that, but I want to make a shirt and, and uh, credit them for it. That, that was just <laughs> great. Um, also. Oh my God. That uh, I, I, was talking to Javante after the last game because, Mark, you and I both posted the same clip where the ball was coming to him and, like, it was kind of a sloppy pass and he needed to yeah. rotate to the corner and he just kind of, like, tip-passed it. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, how did you do that? That was just awesome. And then that was he awesome.
1: immediately got the offensive rebound. immediately off of got
0: the offensive rebound. That dude is just such a good news for the ball. We'll, yeah. we'll save the Javante for the, the power forward section of the show. Uh, unless, unless one of you wanted to bring it up for, for this section.
1: Well, look, it may be related to the point that I was going to raise, and it's sort of connected to what you were, were discussing as well, Will. Like, uh, in terms of the big takeaways right now, I mean, beyond Pat, which is what you know, Pat and the power forward rotation, will, which we'll finish the show on. To me, the biggest story, right, like right now, when uh, I mean, maybe maybe you can add Zach Levine in there as well, and the status of his knee. But beyond that, is just the effectiveness of the starting the starting group versus the bench unit, and the fact that the starting group. As a collective, are just so bad right now, and it connects to what you were saying. Well, in terms of the the three point shooting issue, like the, the most of the most of these three point barrages that are occurring against the Bulls is happening when the starters are in, typically early in games, or like like you mentioned there with the Pacers game that happening in the third quarter. Obviously, that carries over some to the bench units, but more, more generally, it's been happening against the starters. So, uh, I guess my takeaway and connecting it back to what you sort of said there were like. It's all linked in a sense, like this: what we're dealing with in terms of uh, starters giving up massive leads, what the starters giving up, uh, you know, a million, a million threes. It seems, or at least that's what it feels like. It's all connected in that sense. So, like the, the takeaway that I wanted to raise, I guess, over the last six, seven games is the fact that this starting unit, for whatever reason, just can't get it together. Now, maybe as Chris alluded to before, it's related to the fact that there is just evolving or constantly evolving lineup changes whether Zach's in or out we we mentioned Io before obviously we know Lonzo's not playing so there's just constantly been rotational changes every game it feels like Billy is searching for something from within his rotation so maybe that's causing some of these three point issues I don't know if that's giving them an excuse because this shouldn't be happening irrespective of the lineup out there but I don't know I don't know if this makes all sense from a continuity point of view but given that this is the the main mantra that AK has sort of been uh, espousing over the over the off season continuity it's kind of hard to have continuity when your lineups changing every single time and like I said the rotations are changing all the time and maybe that needs to happen again because the starters are just so bad right now. So we, we referenced Javante. I don't know if I don't know if Javante coming into the lineup changes anything. I thought maybe with Caruso starting in Io's place yesterday that that would have an impact. It obviously didn't because the Bulls still gave up a ton of threes to the Sixers. So uh, I don't know what the answer to it is, but the starters right now are, are problematic. I don't know how you solve it, but it's just jarring to see how bad they have been in comparison to the bench unit, who has been absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's... Oh,
0: go ahead, Chris. I was just
1: gonna say it's it's funny,
2: and my my kind of takeaway is related to this. But the continuity thing is funny because I believe in it. I believe that it, it can be effective. I believe that teams that are together longer, obviously, you get better the more time you play. But the the unit that's been most effective is the bench unit, which has two really important and brand new guys in Goran Dragic or Goran Dragic. I always say that name wrong, and uh, Andre Drummond, who were I think. Pretty widely panned as kind of minimal moves over the summer, yeah. myself included. Mm-hmm. I I said I thought they'd be, you know, floor raisers for the team, and they're better than their respective counterparts last season. You know, when the Bulls were going twelve to fifteen guys deep uh, with injuries. So, but right now, Dragic and Drummond are the fifth, <laughs> the fifth most efficient pick and roll duo in the entire league, fifth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. At a 62 qualifying, at least that was the way it was a day or two ago. So I think this, it's almost like the bench has been like, just put the bench in, please. Like, get the, let's get the bench yeah. in quicker. And I know Drummond has, a, a, he kind of has this Denzel Valentine-ish thing yeah. where There's a his perception to be a bit of Jewish. his ability sometimes can't I haven't, get over his knees.
0: I haven't thought of that directly, but it's, it,
2: it's good. It works. It, it's one of the things where... Drummond is, is really good at what he does, but sometimes when he he when he when realizes he's really good at what he does, he kind of just gets over his keys and then you got to pull him. You're like,
0: all right, time to get him out, time to get him out. Yeah, um, Big Dave calls him Two-Face because there's times when he's two-faced. just like doing his role. He's Harvey Dent. He's like just in business, and then he yeah. just goes off the rails. Yeah, I think he's in
2: some way, for that reason, I think he's kind of a very tall Denzel Valentine where – Denzel Valentine, when he was good, he was like on fire and he'd be the spark plug. And then all of a sudden he'd do some Denzel Valentine thing. You're like, stop, dude. Like the Miami, the Miami shot is always the one that people remember, but he would just do that. And it was like, you got to keep him on a short leash. I think Drummond is kind of the same, but I mean, the bench has been really fun to watch. As you mentioned, Mark, do we maybe need to make some changes? And I think both Laro and I, and obviously Casey Johnson wrote an article about it has have advocated for Javante Green to be the starter. I think his skill set and his energy especially can help get them into better starts. And, you know, every time he's been on the floor, it seems like good things are happening. I know, Mark, I don't have to tell you, you're one of the biggest Javante fans I know, um, but it's it's been really effective so far, no matter what lineup he's been in. And so I think it wouldn't hurt. And I know we're going to talk about Pat later, but I think it could also be a good thing for Pat and his development, you know, over the course of the season and for his career. So I'm not sure exactly what to do about the starting lineup, but I would absolutely be open to changes. And I think Javante is a great, a great candidate to, you know, replace someone in the starting lineup.
0: Yeah. I think we're getting to a point where there's probably going to be a change coming with, with Javante starting over Patrick. Uh, Billy kind of, kind of mentioned that he's going to have to start thinking about that after the game. Uh, yesterday on Saturday against the Sixers. Um, you know, you mentioned like bringing in the bench sooner. My my concern there is like, is this bench good because it's a bunch of players that are better than most other bench units that are just kind of like kicking ass against worse lineups. Um, and if you put them out there against, you know, the the James Harden and beat uh, Tyrese Maxi starting lineups of the world, like they are going to get roasted. So I do think maybe there's some more mixing and matching to be done at the same time. You don't want to mess with a lineup that's doing really well like that. Those lineups I posted the other day, I'm not sure what the update is, but Dragic, Levine, um, Caruso, Drummond, plus either Javante or Jerick Jones are like plus 58 on the season. Like you don't want to mess with that. And yes, the bull starters need to be better. Maybe you bring in Dragic a little bit earlier. Um, maybe with Javante and Damar and Zach and Vooch and just try to get them running up and down a little bit more. Uh, it's it's interesting just because Billy has found something that's working with that bench unit and the rest is still sort of, you know, a work in progress to put it lightly. But, uh, you know, just because like one part of the puzzle is working doesn't mean you shouldn't like deconstruct that to, to try to figure out all the yeah. other puzzle pieces and, mm-hmm. and make the rest of it work.
1: Totally agree, uh, and the reason why that's important is like the starting unit. Ultimately, like the starters that are in place right now, ideally, maybe you sub in Caruso for one of Io or, or, or Pat, depending on matchups and those sorts of things, and, and how you know how well either of those guys is playing. But ultimately, three, maybe four of those guys are who you want closing games, who you want starting games. So even if you are manipulating rotation, some maybe you're changing the uh, the lineup maybe you're only literally training one one guy out and it'll be part of for Javante. Like that's that's the only realistic change at the moment. So they're not holistic changes, but more generally, I don't think you can put holistic changes in there because ultimately this five-man unit needs to get it together. Like this is who you want to be your closing lineup ideally. Uh, you know, Caruso is a better player than Pat right now. So maybe Caruso will be in those closing lineups, but ideally, if, you know, if we, as Bulls fans, is if we want this team to hit the ceiling that we hope they can, like, we want Pat taking that next next step. So ideally he's in that closing lineup. So this, this five-man unit, whether it's Io Caruso, or Pat in there with you know Levine, DeRozan and, and Vutrovic, like th- that they need to work it out. So yes, you can maybe manipulate the rotation some, but I don't know, you can't do it too much because, like I said, this, this is this has to be your unit, like this is who the team has been built around. But thus far, for whatever reason, in terms of net rating, the starters are 25th in the league, compared that to the bench who uh, a sixth among, amongst all bench units in net rating. So it's complete opposite in that sense. So I don't know what to do. I don't know if Billy has a good solution. I don't know if the solution is to make a change or if just these guys playing better, to be, to be frank. Uh, it, it's an interesting one, but obviously something we need to continue to monitor, monitor over the next you know four or five games, particularly in November as the schedule starts to really wrap up. It's a difficult month and in November. There's a lot of good teams that balls So uh you know it doesn't get any easier from that perspective.
0: It does not. Yeah, I mean, the the east is, as we've talked about, just super deep, and there are no there are no days off. And really, the west is just as strong. I don't know if people are talking about it quite as much, but it's like those west coast road trips mm. are always hard and brutal. You know, it's it's not going to be any easier this time. Uh, Chris, you got anything for us? Well, I'd,
2: I just want to clarify. I, I agree with you. The five-man unit has to figure it out. These are the guys you really want on the floor, and they're supposed to be your best players. And we've yeah. also seen the fact that if you guys remember in the Cavs game when they had the all-bench lineup against Mobley, Evan Mobley, and um, Donovan Mitchell, oh, they got smoked. Yeah. Smoked. <laughs> and I honestly think that was—I mean, I—I I was upset about. It. Like, I was tweeting about it like every five minutes for <laughs> that game. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you got to put them. You know, you got to put stars think- in.
1: Uh, and they made the, those changes,
2: right? They put Zach in or yeah, they put Demar in yeah. and it was way better, way better. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I think there is that's, some that's truth to that where you, you can't just put them against the starters all the time. Now, there's situationally you can, but I'm not advocating for them to put in the bench sooner necessarily. It's just it feels like that when you're watching the game of the starters as a unit not performing as well as the bench. And you kind of like are almost waiting for the bench to come in mm-hmm. to see. To get that lead, you know, to get the lead back, or to, or uh,
0: or to get the de- to cut that deficit. So the I other, agree. There's the other piece there yeah. that I've noticed and I've talked about is like, I mean, it's the defense. Like, I, yeah. I hate to like call them out, but Demar has been really bad in these rotations, and I think that's a big mm-hmm. reason why yep. teams are hitting a ton of threes. And when teams are just raining threes on you, you're taking the ball out underneath the basket. And when you're taking the ball out, you can't get out in transition, and then you're facing set defenses, and you have to do do exactly what Billy has been trying to avoid this whole training camp and preseason, which is making Demar do everything for you in the half court against a set defense. Um, and it's just these cycles that that really can only stop once you start getting stops. And I, for whatever reason, the second unit has been much better at that. Um, and then they leverage that into pace and transition play, and you know, attacking uh, a shifting defense. Um, so I think no. just. Locking up defensively is also a big piece
1: of it. Yeah, definitely. And Chris mentioned this before. Like the balls are being better at maybe Xing out, and Will, you noted before that they've been good at uh, you know limiting corner threes. But a play that I've got etched in my mind from that Sixers game is where Levine and DeRozan completely botched an X out to the point where uh, PJ Tucker, I think it was, made, a, made the open corner three. Basically, so they're they're bungling their, their rotate uh, the rotations defensively in that sense. The help, the help rotations haven't been good. Um, and and it's connected to what, like I said, it's connected. Like the starting unit is bad. Why are they bad? Because in part they're letting all these uh, opponents get off to these three point rampages that you referenced earlier. So it's all connected in that sense. Um, and and I don't I don't know if there is a good solution to it other than just just don't be play and play better. <laughs> like just, you, surely by this stage, like surely Demar, you've been you've been in, in the league for fourteen years. Uh, what's this year eight for Zach something like that you should know how to rotate and and rotate out to those shoes like that's you know people are going to start blaming Billy Billy Donovan it's already started Um, it's going to continue to happen if this team for whatever reason has a losing record as they currently do Uh, obviously the coach is always the easy scapegoat from that perspective but like I mean at, at the end of the day surely at this point these two vets need to understand what the rotations are defensively and if you're bungling that up I mean, that's not, from my perspective, at least, that's not on the coaching, that's on the player. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and to see if they can really reverse the trend because it's uh, concerning at the moment.
0: All right, so I want to give us enough time to really sink our teeth into the Patrick Williams conversation. But first, let's take another break here. Mark, can you tell us about pins and aces?
1: I can, William. I will. I will do that. Pins and aces, if you don't already know, folks, they are the official golf apparel partner of CHGO. We love our pins and aces gear and get tons. I mean, tons of compliments on and off the course. They make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and Matt Peck's most favorite item possible. The beer sleeve that it's its an innovative product that can store up to seven beers right inside your golf bag. How amazing is that? It keeps your cold your drinks cold the entire round. If you're playing, well, I don't even know, nine holes, 18 holes, 72 holes, Whatever, however many holes you're playing, this freaking thing will keep your beers nice and cold. You can get seven in there. And the the, mo- the best thing about Pins and Aces, William, they are a family-owned golf and apparel business. I love that aspect of Pins and Aces. So if you want to check out PinsandAces.com, you can use promo code CHDO to receive 15% off your first order as well as getting free shipping. That's PinsandAces.com, promo code CHGO.
0: Do you think that the beer sleeve has space for Greenwich Farms' meat sticks? That's, well, that's uh, really a big question like that I have. And I'm, well, I'm well, willing to... always test this out. Yeah, I'm willing to put some out. good odds. I'm sure our friends at DraftKings have some, some good odds on that. Uh, so I quickly, I, I quickly want to transition over to DraftKings. Uh, as we know, guys, the NBA is back. The wait is over. And to tip off the season, do it at DraftKings Sportsbook. It is an official sports betting partner of the NBA, And new customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet. That's any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. So check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app and opt in and place a stepped up same game parlay today. That is a lot of rhyming words that I'm, I think, saying with some success. Uh, Payouts are bigger than ever. DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet. It's actually the first place I ever started betting. So I'm on board with DraftKings. Um, Download the app, uh, DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code CHGO. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook using promo code CHGO. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. All right, let's talk Patrick Williams. This this is like, this is why we're all here, right? I mean, Patrick Williams is the savior. He also sucks and should never play with the Bulls. Send him to Windy City. But he's only 21 and we've got to get him time. And, you know, there's just so many narratives with Patrick Williams. So... um. Mark, I've, I've heard your takes plenty. I want to start with Chris here. And j- just, Chris, tell me tell me where you're at with Patrick um, in terms of Patrick the player today. And then sort of frame that within the, uh, the Patrick prospect, what can he be, sort of situation.
2: Yeah, I think there's no doubt that Pat the player today is not as far along as I think most of us would have hoped in a lot of areas. Um, I do think his defense has actually quietly taken a step forward. The season he's making better rotations. He's I think he's he's had some nice moments. He was out there in the Sixers game in crunch time. I think he's I think he's gotten a little bit better. But this for, is for those of you who
0: are just listening, you can just see Mark writhing
2: <laughs> as Chris is saying this. I do think his defense has got a little better. His offense has not, to be quite honestly. <laughs> Here's the thing, and it, and it has improved over the last couple of games, but the first three or four games, fans are freaking out because Patrick just looks like you or me out there. Like, I'm not sure what to do. I'm just going to stand in the corner, and it, it didn't matter if he was on the starting unit or on the bench. Like He just wasn't doing a whole lot, and so he has been – it seems like there's a concerted effort either by Pat or the team, coaching or all three, um, to get him involved as a starter, to get him involved in screening, to have him involved in action, he's been t- taking the ball up. He's been, you know, doing a little dribble handoffs, things like that. Just to just to kind of get in the flow of the offense. It feels like he's been trying to crash the glass a little bit more. His numbers have not reflected that. He's he's still at like two rebounds, three rebounds a game in uh, those last few games. It's just you know it hasn't it hasn't come to fruition yet. But you're seeing small signs. The problem is. We wanted to see those small signs like year one and year two. He didn't really have a year two, which really sucks. And he is 21 and he was drafted as someone who was unfinished. He was a bench player for Florida state. He had a lot of tools. He had the size. He had a lot of skills, but he was very unfinished in a lot of ways. And obviously his, his more passive personality has not lent himself. He's not given himself, you know, has done, done himself no favors, um, especially on a team which at the time he was drafted was, you know, had a very different direction than about halfway through his first season. They completely pivoted as an organization to try and build around Zach Levine and win now. And so that's going to have developmental uh, outcomes that you're not, you know, that aren't always in the best interest of the player. And so I think, you know, what, the reason why we're here, I think is because Mark and I were on Twitter going back and forth. So i had put out a, a thread because people love to pick a scapegoat for some reason, like within the first five games of the year. Last year, it was Vooch. The year before that, it was Wendell. The year before that, it was, I think, Chris Dunn. <laughs> you know, like they just, the Bulls fans love to pick a scapegoat for everything that's wrong with the season. Um, and so the the noise was growing about Pat, especially in, in regards to Javante Green. And so I just put out a, a tweet that said, a little thread that said, it's not just Pat. Now, Pat has not done as well as he wants, as we want him to, as he wants to. He needs to be better. No question about it. But there's also the developmental aspect. There's a lot of different things, team fit, what the what the coach is doing to put him in the right position or not to, you know, what his, his role on the team. There's a lot of different factors that affect a young player's ability to be successful. And, you know, I think I know Mark took exception with a couple of things. I, I have a feeling that we're probably on the same track in most things. Um, but I think that there is some blame and not, I mean, I don't even know if blame is the right word, but I think that the coaching or the spots that Billy is putting them in does affect his development and his development for his own personal growth may not be in line with what the team's goals are right now. Those may be conflicting. And so if those are conflicting and Billy Donovan has a mandate from ownership to win, then Past development is going to suffer as a result. There's not going to be the same level of a uh, focus on specific areas of his game. That doesn't mean he can't be successful as a more role, you know, as a more focused role player, um, but it's not going to maximize his long-term skill set. So my only point with that was to say, and this is a long-winded rant, so I apologize, that the that the team that the position the team has put him in has not helped his already passive nature. Putting him in the starting lineup has not helped. Not running plays for him kind of lends itself to his passiveness. And I thought the the Bulls needed to do a better job, which they have done since I wrote that, of getting him involved in the offense, getting him involved uh, as a pick and roll uh, pick and roll ball handler, uh, if it made sense in the second unit, which maybe it doesn't, because Drogic and and Drummond have been so great. So that's kind of my spiel, and I'm I'm excited to hear Mark uh, tell me I'm wrong about everything
1: no well you're not wrong about everything some things but not everything and like like you mentioned it there but I fundamentally agree with you on most of that but my issue with it is we make so many concessions for Pat that we don't make for other players and and that bothers me and I mean and on a number of different levels there were so many points that you raised there that I wanted to hit on but like one that immediately jumps out to me is like in comparing, you know, Pat to Kobe to Wendell to Lowry, like all of those guys, Pat has had the, the easiest, the absolute easiest. If you want to talk about, uh, you know, guys that have really been impacted from a Bulls development point of view, I if, if I can get behind Lowry and Wendell suffering greatly because of, uh, you know, the Garpex era, having to be coached by Jim Boyle and having to be playing next to really bad players. That impacts your ability to, to be effective. But from my perspective, like of, of all the draft picks that have come through in the last four or five years, Pat has had the easiest time. One, because he's been coached by an actual coach in Billy Donovan. Two, the organization has a lot more stability than what it ever did um, under AK That compared to sort of guard packs and all the noise surrounding the team from that put, uh, that perspective. But now as well, like he's playing next to so much better players. Like playing next to DeMar, Levine, Vooch, that should be much easier than playing next to I don't know. Insert, uh, you know, just a long list of players that have been terrible on this roster that Lowry and Wendell had to go up against. So we make so many concessions for Pat that annoys me. Another thing that we continuously talk about is the fact that you know this isn't re- next, uh, this isn't really year three. This is actually year two. He's only played 90, 98 games or whatever the number is now. Maybe it's hundred now. But I guess my my reflex to that or my my contention to that is. Wendell Carter, after two years, had played less minutes than what Pat had done entering year three. So Wendell, Wendell had played less. Obviously, that Wendell had his own injury issues. But my point here is like Wendell only played 3,100 minutes for the Bulls. That was enough time for AK to clearly decide, we want to move on for this guy. We can argue the merits of whether they should have or not, but that was enough of a sample for them to do that. Pat, at the moment, is at 2,600 minutes in his career. So the time is coming soon for the Bulls to make a decision on Pat. I'm not necessarily suggesting they should trade him or do anything of that nature. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. But I, I guess my point here is we were more than comfortable in making assessments about you know, lesser players, let's say, about Wendell, Lowry, on, on who I've played similarly minutes. Maybe their career wasn't as interrupted. Maybe they didn't miss a good chunk like Pat did. But I guess my frustration with it is we just make so many concessions for this guy. Yes, he's got things to work on. All of that nature, but I, I just think he's got it. I think he's had it the easiest out of all of these draft picks that have come through. And um, what we saw against the Sixers exa- is exactly what I wanted to see from Pat. Like, he, you can do that, and irrespective of whether you're getting touches on offense, just give me give, give me stuff on defense. Give me stuff, you know, as a rebounder. There should be no excuses for Pat ending games with zero rebounds or one or two rebounds per game. Like that—that's that, that, absolute nonsense. Uh, I, only, I know he only had three rebounds against the Sixers the other day, but like he was—he was strong on the glass. He had that massive rebound. He was turning defense into offense. Like he was just doing basic role guy stuff, that is, which is exactly what I wanted. I don't care about his offense, but I guess that's just where a lot of that conversation goes to—his offense and this whole aggression thing. To me, like I don't care about that. I think he can still be a good and effective player, irrespective of where his offense is at. I and I also don't believe that he should have the ball in his hands, whereas I don't know some people do, i guess, so i know i've 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 now returned serve here with a big long long last round of myself, but I just think we make pat too many concessions for pat ultimately he needs to be better, whether it's u two or we u three or whatever the situation is, he needs to be significantly better, he isn't. If you look at look at the on off numbers for Pat compared to everyone else, they are just embarrassing. His on number when he's on the court, the Bulls' net rating is like negative seventeen. When he's off, there, plus sixteen. It's terrible. Um, he needs to be better, and hopefully, he can be better or, or replicate what he did against the Sixers because that was actually a good sign. If he can do that, then yeah, I'm, I'm all, all for Pat playing more. But um, based on what he's produced thus far, it's 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 concerning.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He has not been good. He has clearly taken a step backwards. And while I always say, and I think it's important to always recognize Mm -hmm. that like progress is not linear to take these massive steps backwards is certainly, you know, something that's like, you could have legitimate concern about. Um, I do, I do hesitate to compare him to other prospects that the bulls have had, whether it's Wendell or Lowry or, you know, even Kobe to a certain extent, like the, the, I think he's had a similar trajectory as far as like coming in and initially just being told to like run wild and do whatever you want. And then, you know, Wendell gets traded and and just on the Wendell thing for a second. um, I mean, there was, there was stuff going on with him in terms of his uh, ability to like, just work out on this team. I think that just, it wasn't going to happen. And uh, I also think you, you framed it, as though like the bulls were sort of dumping him i don't want to necessarily put words in your mouth but like basically what you said if i'm hearing it correctly was that like ak had seen enough to know that he was okay to move on from wendell yeah. i think there's there's some truth in that but there's also like the truth that ak was going after a guy and he wanted to go get that guy in nikola vucevic and we can rehash and relitigate that whole thing but mm. um i just i think that's a, a little bit of a separate idea for for patrick specifically um i've definitely been pro javante starting when you see a guy that's clearly this uncomfortable who let's just forget about like what he does to the larger ecosystem of the starting unit as far as like the the plus minus and all of that like he just doesn't fit in there he, he looks uncomfortable he's not doing the right things he's he's tiptoeing around the court he is, I mean, he said that he, like his job when he's playing in that group is to get Zach and Damar in a group. That is his job. That's verbatim what he has said. And I just don't think he can operate that way. Like Laro said this to me when I saw him at the game the other night. And it's a thought that I've had before too. Like Damar DeRozan is not inviting Patrick Williams to work out with him at 5 a.m. in LA every single day for the entire summer so that he can go stand in the corner and shoot spot of threes or, or even like grab rebounds and push the break. Like that, I just don't think that's what, he went out there to teach him. And regardless of whether you think Patrick deserves to um, to have on-ball reps or he needs them in order to succeed, like it's just what we're seeing right now is not working. And so like putting all of that aside, I think that's like my biggest point is like, I've seen enough to know that Patrick has some stuff. He can do some stuff. We've seen some flashes, it's gone backwards, which is not good. But, like, let's try to find a solution to try to make him a little bit more comfortable. I think we've seen it at points, even during this season, in that preseason game against the Bucs, where he went wild and scored 20-something. And that's why I've been advocating just as much uh, for the sake of the starting unit to have Javante in there. But I've been advocating for Patrick to come off the bench because I'm, like, full-on believer in Goran Dragic as a... a, uh, chess master of the of the bulls bench and just like teaching him how to be there like we've we've talked a little bit about how you know patrick's really picking his brain because he doesn't understand how to position his body on screens and when to turn and slip to the basket and which way to turn and all this stuff that like the really technical nitty-gritty of it and i just i want to put those two guys out there together and yes maybe it does hurt the the drum and pick and roll that's been so successful but as much as the Bulls need to focus on winning games right now, whether that's coming from Jerry or Billy or AK or whoever, like they also have invested so much in Patrick Williams. The idea of not trading him for Jeremy Grant, as we talked about last trade deadline, the idea of, um, you know, not wanting to bench him for Javante because he, you know, because of his draft position or whatever it is, Uh, they need to figure out if he's a player, whether they do that to trade him or to like eventually have him in the starting group. But my my whole point with it, and I and I think I agree with both of you guys for the most part, is just like I just need to find a, a solution that is gonna change something because right now it just feels like he's stuck in a rut. And I'm I'm hoping that they move him off the bench, not as a demotion, but just like give him an opportunity to play lower leverage minutes with somebody who I think who I think can really help him. Yeah,
2: you guys make you guys make good points, and I I agree a couple things that Mark said, I agree in general that it's usually better to play with better players, but it depends on your role and depends on the consistency of that role. Pat has not, I think we do give him a lot of leeway because he's young. He was a, a reach, right? It was like a, a big swing that they took. It was not the guy that anyone had mocked at for at the time. And so they do, and they do have a lot of, they do have a lot invested in him from a draft pick standpoint, right? Like they, they picked him at four. So, I think Will makes a good point here about Demar Derozan and Zach Levine and Vooch. They're they're the offense, and it doesn't make sense from a a team standpoint to put the ball in Pat's hands and t- if it's taking it away from those three guys. There's, that's not going to lead to more wins now, and that's what the Bulls want to do. So Pat's kind of caught in between these two timelines. When he first got drafted, he was the timeline, like that was like the guy, and I thought they were going to trade Zach that season, um, but Zach ended up being so good that they 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 went the other way. They traded Wendell because he was their best asset at the time, um, for Vooch, and you know, it's really kind of gone awry since. I, I think young guys in general need a cons- they need a clear role and they need consistent playing time. And Pat has had neither. Whether it was the pandemic, or whether it was his injuries and the changing, the shifting, you know, direction of the franchise, he was he played the three most of the time his first year in this like awful lineup where Wendell was the only person that had even a respectable defensive capability that year. And then they decided to go a completely different direction. And now he's been kind of shoehorned as this non ball handler uh, playing a Javante green type of role. That's what we want. We want someone who can, you know, run the floor. who can get on the glass who can just kind of be like another cog in the offense. And Pat was developed or Pat has been developed in the summer, for example, the opposite way. They put the ball in his hands all the time in summer league. Like that's what they wanted him to do. And that's what I think he ultimately will be his best skill set. And so to your point of playing with better players, it can be good to play with awful players if it allows you to play through your mistakes and be the guy. So if he was playing on a full tanking team, if the Bulls had not like, let's say the Bulls had traded Zach Levine, Wendell, you know, Wendell and Lowry, and Kobe don't need the ball in their hands to be as effective. But Patrick, I think, would have been the guy. I think he would have been the guy they would have put the ball in his hands and just kind of let him run with it. And that's going to be the best for his development. It's not going to be the best for the Bulls' development, though, in the short term, to do that. I think Will, and, – and, you know, I think we're all in agreement here. I think his best role will be off the bench – because it makes more sense for the starting group to have Javante there, to have that skill set that's already maximized, that's already, you know, Javante's not a young prospect. He's like 29 or 30. He's, you know, he's been all across Europe. They they need a guy who's consistent there right now, and that's not Pat. we have said he's taken a step back, right? Are you going to say no, something? No. Sorry, you want to interrupt me, Mark?
1: Yeah, I was going to interrupt you. Sorry. That's uh, <laughs> I, I guess, like, the, the way we talk about this, though, And this is my issue with it. Like, we talk about Pat's role on this team, but we're only talking about it from an offensive perspective. That's half the court. Like, I don't care about the offense, as I said before. Pat got 32 minutes against the Sixers yesterday because he was playing really good defense. You you mentioned his defense before, Chris, and I raised my eyebrows and made a face, which we'll, we'll reference before. I think his defense this season has generally been pretty bad. But... His defense against this, the Sixers, in particular, and on and on Harden was was quite good. And in that second corner against Montrezl Harrell, where he Pat was sort of playing four or five, whatever as to who the center was, whether it was him or Derek Jones, you know, like I thought he played good defense in those stints as well. So because he played good defense, that enabled Billy to trust him more to get him on the court for thirty plus minutes. The reason why he hasn't been on the court much isn't because of his offense; it's because his defense has been bad, and that's why Billy has been taking him out early. That's why his on off numbers are so terrible. So if Pat just does the basic role guy things, um, and I've I've mentioned this on this podcast before that I just want him to be a a supercharged version of Javante, and maybe I haven't explained myself properly in that. I'm not expecting Pat to be flying above the rim or dive cutting the the same way that Javante does, but am I expecting him to, to be a guy who makes things happen on defense, that creates opportunities from defense to offense in that perspective, in that role? Yes. Can I do? I expect him to have more than two rebounds uh, on a particular game, or like like it was the other night? Uh, was it the Spurs game or the other game before that where he had zero rebounds? Yes, like just do those things, and we can talk about the offensive stuff later on. And and but the, I guess that's my issue. Where, like we, we when we're talking about rotations, lineups, and all, all those sorts of things, we're doing it within the consideration of how Pitt, Pat fits offensively. We never talk about it defensively, but like he is or in theory, should be the perfect defensive option at power forward, but we never frame it from that perspective. But I will just point to the Sixers game yesterday. We've seen other games where Pat's played really good defense at power forward that has enabled him to stay on the court. Yeah, he's going to be the fourth or fifth option on offense, but that's always going to be the case uh, when you're playing with Levine, DeRozan, and Vooch. And irrespective of whether he's coming off the bench or not, ideally, we still want Pat closing games. So if he's going to be closing games, he's going to be needing to play with these players eventually anyway whether he's starting off but the think, bench or not. I think not, you're, so.
0: you're operating under the assumption that, like, he, that he even should be a good defender right now. Like, we cut him slack offensively because he's a raw prospect. I think that, that totally applies to his defensive end too because he has never been a very good defensive player. He doesn't have – I mean, he's he's a tools guy, right? like He came out of college without a true skill set that he could fall back on, and I still think that's the case. He doesn't do anything at a very high level. And I'm talking about like at a above average starter level. And so when you're running around there playing not to mess up, it becomes really hard to do anything on either end of the court. So I, I totally agree. He needs to be better defensively, but I also put that in the same category as, you know, he needs to be better shooting the ball. He needs to be better attacking closeouts. He needs to be better base cutting baseline cutting. Like I just, I don't think i I'm, I guess my thought about the defense is like, I don't expect him to be good there either because he's just, he hasn't proven to be, he's shown flashes the same way he has on offense, but he has not put anything together. And maybe that's, that's a problem in the way that like the larger fan base talks about him of uh, and just defense in general, right? Like that just doesn't seem to be as important to most people, but like he's been pretty bad his entire career defensively, as much as it hurts to say.
1: Well, let me frame it this way then. He has significantly more development scope to be a good defensive player than he does offensive. And that's just because of the, the construct of the team. He's going to get significantly more opportunities to, to uh, develop from a defensive standpoint than he will as an on-ball guy. So that is my expectation. Um, is that fair? I think it is. I think the, the, the organization is asking him of that to be, at a, at a minimum, and that to be his role. I just think he has more scope to be better or more influential in year three as a defensive guy than, than an offensive guy for all the reasons I noted before. Like he's just not going to be an on-ball guy playing next Levine, DeRozan, that's just the case. Sorry. Sorry, Pat. That's that's the situation. But can you do things on, on defense? Yes, I think you can. I think you can develop in that role. You've shown me signs time and time and again that you can be good on defense. I'm not expecting to be an all world type defender in year three, but can you be average to good? I, I think that's in play. Uh, I, so I, I, I don't think we should be making the, 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 those concessions for him that, you know, any, anything less than being good on defense. I think that should be the minimum minimum expectation.
0: I wouldn't call it like a concession necessarily. I just, I look at it the same way I look at the offense. You say, I don't care about the points per game. That's, that's I mean, and obviously you, you want to care about something with him, but I just, I think that the, we have to lower the the bar for him, the the expectation, because right now he's he's not only going backwards, like he's regressing, um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that the expectations on him to be productive on either end right now are just not quite fair.
1: Uh, I I fear, vehemently disagree, William, uh, and this is this is my thing. So like, you do call me three. William
0: outside of ads.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the fourth overall pick. This is year three. If if my expectation for you it now has to be reversed back or regressed to the point where Pat needs to come off the bench that we can't have any expect or lowered expectations for him on both sides of the court, like that's just not that's not good enough for me. I'm sorry. It but, sucks, like, but like sucks, okay. but what do you do?
0: You just hold him, yeah. you continue to hold him to higher standards that he can't get to. Yes. Like they, they yes. have to coddle him a little bit, because otherwise he's just no. gonna <laughs> continue to go backward. I'm, gonna, I'm,
2: thing, gonna, have don't, to, don't, I'm
0: gonna
1: have, have to I'm gonna have to come
2: down on, on on Will's side on this. Here's the thing. I don't think the fact that he's picked fourth should mean anything at this point i don't think the fact that it's year 3 should mean anything it at does. this point it does i i think that's a that's a fan perspective and fan expectation that we put on now that the organization has high expectations of him because of yeah. where they picked him but that's why I've from, that's why I've i know but i don't think that we it should be the standard against which we hold him at this point because he didn't really play year 2 as will said he he came out of college as an unfinished like hey he's got lots of tools they have not been developed what have the bulls done to develop those tools his first year they didn't develop him on ball and they had him playing out of position defensively as a three for most of the year right the second year they're like hey let's play him as a four he didn't play all year so i would not expect him to be really good on defense now should he be better from an activity standpoint absolutely and i do think he's made some strides there the last few games that's encouraging do i expect him to be defensively stalwart in general. No, because he's 21 and he's only played one season and he wasn't very good in college. Like I don't I, I agree with Well, I think we have to hold him not to a lower standard, but to his own standard. I I think we have to we have to hold him against who he is rather than where he was picked. And I know maybe that's unfair. I don't know. But to me it's like that there's there's a lot more at play. Guess, it's not as black and white.
0: Yeah. I guess the the way that I would like to reframe it is like he has not played good and we would hope that he played better, right? Like, I don't think anybody disagrees with that and he should be, and it's disappointing that he isn't, but like, what can you do other than try to figure out the next thing? Because again, what we, what we've seen now is not working, continuing to expect him to be, you know, even better than we thought he could be when he hasn't even gotten to the point where he should be. I I just, it's, it's like a difficult Thing. And so, like, it's the same when, you know, the Bulls come out and last season they rip through their first 35 games and they're winning all these games, and now all of a sudden we're starting to think of them differently than we thought going into the season. I think we have to just, like, be willing to adjust the expectations and role for Patrick. And does that hurt? Yes, for sure. Um, and And also, like, I think it is in a lot of ways – to Mark's point, sort of a disaster if he's not developing at all. But again, I just, the way I'm looking at it is like, what do you do other than just like adjust the filters now and and try to move forward?
2: I I think you're going to end up with two solutions here. If the Bulls continue thinking that they are a, you know, high-end playoff team, they're going to trade him because they can't focus on the development that he really needs and should have and has not had to this point. They're going to have to trade him because if they want to win now, they need that kind of of guy and they've got other needs on the team that they, that a team will be intrigued enough to trade stuff. That's better for him. Now I think he still has a lot of value around the league or they have to realize that they're not as good as they think and pivot the other way. I, I honestly think they're going to come to that point at some point this season. And until then, you know, Pat's going to have a changing role, which is not going to help him. Now he needs to do more in what his current role is, but it's, we clearly, I think we all agree it's not his optimized role on on either end. It's more optimized on defense, but he hasn't had enough time there. It's not optimized on offense at all, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, well, look, I I mean, I just fundamentally disagree. And I'll, I'll end it here because I could be banging on about this for all day. But I just, I think he does have development opportunities on this team. Um, I don't think... Uh, you know, yeah, sure. Maybe you can make the argument that he would develop different skills if he was in a different role, or if he was in on scenarios more. Maybe if he was playing with, uh, you know, the Magic or another bad team at the moment or the Pacers, whoever it may be, he'd get more on reps in those scenarios. He would develop those skills faster. Yes. But at the same time, he has an opportunity here to develop skills in Chicago that maybe he wouldn't develop in those scenarios. Uh, yeah. So I fundamentally disagree that he doesn't, they're not those development opportunities don't exist they're different but i think they the foundation development skills do exist for him to to develop in that sense and i just think fundamentally like whether it's fair or not their expectations are real they should be there it's not just fan generated this is the expectations that the the franchise itself has and irrespective of whether we consider this year two for him or, or not like contract reads year three he's going into year four like the team will eventually have to make a decision on him regardless of where he's at so it all matters. It's, it's a convoluted conversation because there are so many different factors in here. But I, I don't think we can just pretend that this is year two for Pat because it's not just purely from a contract point of view and you know what what comes next. So, uh, like I said, it's it's a long conversation, one that I could uh, go on for for months on. To be honest with you, but uh, may, maybe for the uh, for the listener's sake, we call it here.
0: Well, I do think we're actually going to be talking about this for months, and I do agree with. Um almost all of what you're saying, Mark. I just, um, yeah, I, I, I think he needs to be better. I think we still need to hold him to a standard. And I think he does have developmental opportunities that he's not taking advantage of. But I also think clearly something is wrong here and they have to be willing to adjust. And I'm not sure what the adjustment is. That's on Patrick and Billy and the front office to figure all of that out. And hopefully they do because you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, this trade deadline is going to be a really key point for the Bulls moving forward. Uh, it's going to tell us, obviously, a lot about what direction they are going to go, what kind of team they think they are, what continuity really means uh, to hit the over-under on 1.5 continuity calls per podcast. But uh, we will be back, um, and Chris will have to have you back on here to talk about all this down the line. Um always great talking with you, Chris, and obviously Mark, um, Chris, will you just plug your, your site one more time before we head out?
2: Yeah, you can find it at the swish Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at swish theory. Uh, Larry and I run a pod at swish theory pod. You can find it on any podcast platform you use. And then I'm at KLA hoops on Twitter. And I still tweet about almost nothing but the bulls.
0: Good. I'm glad you got yourself in there. Uh, I am at will underscore Gottlieb. I am with MK hoops as always. And Chris again is at KLA hoops guys. Thanks so much for chatting and we'll be back next week.